welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The U.S. Supreme Court's strong affirmation of the Indian Child Welfare Act was among the biggest news stories in the past year, and that decision promises to carry over into 2024. Other ongoing events that affect Native Americans include the continuing fallout from the massive Medicaid fraud in Arizona and devastating fires in Hawaii and Canada. We'll hear from reporters about the news and events that emerged in 2023 that we're also keeping an eye on in the new year. That's coming up after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Artists are among those continuing to raise awareness of missing and murdered indigenous people in Alaska. They want to make sure their loved ones are not forgotten and are continuing to seek justice for those who've gone missing and murdered. Seattle-based fashion designer Mary Kelsey Unanga is using her talent to create conversations around MMIP. I know that a lot of our indigenous folks know the problems we face, you know, with our missing and murdered relatives but a lot of our non-Indigenous members of our community do not. To draw awareness and spark conversations, Kelsey created a collection of five red dresses. And it was inspired by the portrait that Dustin Newman, a fellow Unanga artist, created, which represented our missing and murdered sisters here in Alaska, from all areas of Alaska. And when I saw the portrait, I decided that I wanted to make those dresses come alive. The Our Sisters Red Dress Collection has been shown in Alaska, Washington State, and has journeyed all the way to Paris. It was the centerpiece of an exhibit at the Washington State History Museum in Seattle last year, where it received much public attention. For a lot of our indigenous community, it is creating like healing, a part of a healing process and a healing space. Um, a lot of people have come up and, you know, told me that it was healing and they shared their stories in relations to a missing murder relative. The issue is personal for Kelsey. She says one of her childhood friends was taken and also one of her own family members. I think that we all need to use our voices to kind of stand up for our relatives who can, can't speak. And I know that it Sometimes it's really hard to use our voices, and I'm getting better at using my voice and sharing the story of, of our relatives. I'm just going to keep sharing the collection for as long as I can. One of the dresses was donated to the Red Dress Gala being held this month in Anchorage, Alaska, to benefit an Indigenous-led MMIWG2S working group in the state. This story is a partnership with FNX Television with support by the Public Welfare Foundation. A judge in Quebec has ordered McGill University to honor the terms of an agreement with an indigenous group over the search for possible unmarked graves. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, the site's at a former Montreal hospital. The group, the Mohawk Mothers, say Quebec's infrastructure agency did not properly involve the panel of archaeologists appointed to oversee the search for graves. The location is the site of a future downtown university campus expansion. Having the expert panel involved was a main part of the deal between developers and the indigenous group. The Mohawk mothers have tried several times in court to stop construction, fearing human remains would be desecrated. Cajentineta is one of the Mohawk mothers. She says she wants the site properly searched for unmarked graves. 
That's what we want. And we will not stop until we accomplish that. So that's where we are now. We've been stopped many times, but it hasn't stopped. The former Royal Victoria Hospital was the site of mind control experiments held at the psychiatric institute that was affiliated with the hospital in the 1950s and 60s. Mohawk mothers say it's possible indigenous and non-indigenous survivors of those treatments are buried at the site. Earlier this year, a search using cadaver dogs discovered evidence of human remains at the site. Since then, there has been no confirmation of human remains. In November, a court reinstated the archaeologist panel, but the university is appealing. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Drummond Woodsum, a full-service law firm whose nationally recognized tribal nations practice provides services to tribal nations and their enterprises and to companies that do business with tribes across the country. More at dwmlaw.com. Support by Amerind. Indian Country's 100% tribally owned insurance partner. Information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at amerind.com. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. A fire tore through the island of Maui, devastating the historic Hawaiian community of Lahaina. A health care scam in Arizona targeted Native people from as far away as Alaska. And the Indian Child Welfare Act got a major reaffirmation from the U.S. Supreme Court. Those are some of the big stories affecting Native Americans in 2023, and those same issues are likely to cross over into the new year. Today on our show, we'll get updates on the big stories from the past year that will no doubt resonate into 2024. We'll talk about environmental, political, and breaking news stories where Indigenous communities in the U.S. and Canada are at the center. We also want to hear from you, our dedicated listeners. What stories caught your attention in 2023? What big stories flew under the radar? Was there a Native news story that affected you personally? Join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. In Grand Rapids, Michigan, we have Levi Rickard on the line. He is the publisher and editor of Native News Online, and he is Prairie Band Potawatomi. Hello, Levi. Good to have you back on NAC. Good afternoon. It might be morning where you are, but uh, it's good to be back. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you too, Levi. Joining us from Treaty 6 Territory in Alberta, Canada is Brandy Morin. She is a freelance journalist and she is Cree, Iroquois, and French. Hi, Brandy. Great to have you back too. Tanze, thank you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Joining us from Farmington, New Mexico is Arlissa Basenti. She is an Indigenous Affairs reporter and an editor for the Daily Focus at the Arizona Republic. She is Diné. Welcome back to Native America Calling, Arlissa, and Happy New Year. 
Hi, thank you for having me. And joining us from Honolulu, Hawaii is Anita Hofschneider. She is the senior staff writer at Grist Magazine's Indigenous Affairs Desk. Hi, Anita. Welcome to our show. Hafide, and thank you for having me. Absolutely. Levi, let's go ahead and start with you. And I know that the U.S. Supreme Court decision on ICWA tops your list of important stories from last year, 2023. Why is that? Well, that was a major, major attempt by some right-wing institutes to really call in question the sovereignty of tribal nations. And so with the, I think it was a 7-2 decision, which was actually remarkable, uh, it was it was a, a nice victory for Indian country. And they not only did it help protect sovereignty, but it certainly helped protect the idea that the Indian Wild, well, Indian Child Welfare Act of 1978 is intact, it will stay intact. Now, you mentioned that 7-2 decision. Uh, did that surprise a lot of your readers? Because I know here at NAC, we were pretty shocked that it would go that heavily in favor of reaffirming ICWA. I, I'll, I'll just reference back, I think, a week and a half before the decision. I was at the National Congress of American Indians uh, mid-year session up there in uh, Shakopee, up by St. Paul. And and people were really skittish. I I mean that was the talk of the convention. And they didn't think it was. They thought it was going to be sneak by with a five four. But the seven two really was a surprise. What do you think it says about the the Supreme Court, Levi? That that decisions like that uh, can be made and and benefit Indian country in such a big way when ostensibly people would think no no you know they're going to vote against so many issues impacting Indian country. It's been a big surprise. It was a big surprise, but you know we did lose a couple cases. There's one that dealt with the Lockheed uh, Desert, no, some um, boy uh, LDF up in Wisconsin, and it dealt with uh, some legal issues there. Could have tried to be sued. We lost that case, so uh, you know we're not completely 100 percent, but we do have a really right wing court, and so I was so thrilled with that victory. And going back to ICWA. Levi, uh, since the decision, how would you characterize what's happened with regard to any challenges or, or what can we expect possibly in the coming year with regard to maybe future ICWA challenges? Well, and I talked to uh, John Echohawk from NARP, and he, you know, he's basically said you're never completely out of the dark on these things. They may come back, but right now I haven't heard anything. It's been really quiet. So that, that's the good news. Okay. Well, Levi, what stories, what types of stories really fired up your readers last year? You know, it's uh, the most important and the most read don't always, they're not always in sync. The most uh, read stories really had to do with a uh, the Lakota man from the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation had his hair cut off when he was in uh, under the care of the University of Colorado Hospital. And that, that got all kinds of hits. But I think it speaks to the resistance that Native Americans have for the infringement on their cultural rights. And it was clearly a case of hospital personnel being very insensitive. And it took them about two weeks to even confess that this is really what happened. They were just blaming. He had been transferred to a nursing home, as I recall. So they were kind of like, you know, putting the blame elsewhere and and playing the blame game. But finally they admitted it. And hopefully um, the, other other medical facilities around the country will take lesson from it. 
Absolutely. And it's, it's pretty shocking that in this day and age, that kind of stuff is still happening. Cause I mean, the haircutting, I mean, that just, I mean, there's not much more you can do to really, uh, really fire native people up than, than cut mm-hmm. somebody's hair against their will. I mean, it's always been that way. Absolutely. Levi, uh, election year coming up next year. It's going to be a big one. Uh, what are you paying attention to? What do you think the big issues for voters are going to be? And just some of these issues regarding fair elections. I think that uh, we also have to be worried about voter suppression among Native Americans, against Native Americans. Um, I, I'm going to borrow from something. I was I was on the phone with uh, Marshall Perit. He's chairman of the Tunica Biloxi tribe a couple weeks ago. And he said that we don't know if we have one more year left or five years left of this moment that we are having in the Indian country because of the Biden administration. And so that, that really jarred me. I mean, I mean, seriously, if, if uh, Biden doesn't get reelected and, and, you know, someone else gets elected, the Deb Holland will leave that post. And so we are having a moment in the Indian country because of the Biden administration. I don't necessarily want to get overly political, but we, we have eyes, we have ears, we know what's going on. And, and I think Chairman Perry was very correct. We don't know if it's one more year or five more years. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, just over the past year, 2023, what letter grade would you give the Biden administration in terms of how it has addressed Native affairs from a letter grade of A is excellent and a D is bottom of the barrel? Where are you at, Levi? I would think just just taking the pulse, talking to tribal leaders that I talked to throughout the United States, I'd put him maybe at like a B minus. And, and the only reason I'm being negative that far down, whereas you know, he has helped bring his administration $47 billion to Indian country. There, there are some issues there that in some cases their hands may be tied, like the wolf issue that, you know, some of the tribes in Montana in, in the Great Lane, Great uh, Plains states want protections. But it, it doesn't appear that it doesn't appear that the Biden administration is always in sync with what Native Americans want. Um, some offshore um, solar solar fans or um, that that some of the tribes are are really resistant to. So it's not, he's not 100 percent when it comes to environmental issues. To be quite honest. Right, right. Well, Levi, looking ahead here, um, 2024, it's here finally. What issues or what story do you think? from 2023 from last year is going to most carry over into the new year and, and you've really got your eyes glued to and really think is going to have a big impact in Indian country? I that, That's really a hard question because we deal with such significant, important issues. And, and I'm not the only one here. we got other people on this panel, but I, I, I'll say this, that the Indian boarding school is something that has impacted the lives of almost every Native American in the country. And, and the report from the Road to Healing, and I'm, I'm happy to report with a little, little with some humility, but uh, proud of my staff, we were at all 12 of the Indian Boarding School Road to Healing tours. We just, oh, look, it's a very, very important issue. We need to move together as tribal communities for healing. All right. Well, thank you, Levi. Uh, Brandy, I want to bring you in now. Of course, you are up in six, uh, Treaty 6 territory, Alberta, Canada, and you reported last year on the devastating wildfires that hit Canada last summer. In the U.S., we remember the smoke that blanketed many northern cities. Please remind us how those fires affected Indigenous people in Canada where you live. Yeah, you know, it was the most severe 
wildfire season in Canadian history, and it uh, led to the displacement of Indigenous communities across the country from Nova Scotia to British Columbia. These uh, communities face the dangers of the thick smoke that, you know, you've seen down there and in New York City that was on, you know, several headlines. There was loss of homes and forests and disruption, you know, to cultural practices like hunting, fishing, and gathering medicines. Um, at one time, there was a thousand wildfires burning across the country at the same time, and nearly a hundred Native communities were affected uh, with evacuations, um, thousands of people being uh, displaced. Now, what's interesting also about this, because within Canada, Indigenous people make up about 5% of the population, so First Nation, Métis, or Inuit. And these Indigenous communities, they make up the small, although they make up the small percentage, right, of the overall population, our communities have been disproportionately uh, account, you know, accounted for in these wildfires uh, for 42% of the wildfire mm. evacuations in the country. Okay. Uh, Alberta, where I'm from, was hit hard. The East Prairie Métis settlement was, uh, you know, lost 40 homes to wildfire uh, in the summer. Geez. And also, for- Brandy, we're going to have to take a short break, but uh, that's startling. 42 percent of the indigenous population that was impacted there by those wildfires. We're going to talk more with Brandy Morin about the Canadian fires and other issues north of the border in Canada. We come back from this break. A Rapid City Hotel owner issued an apology for publicly barring all Native Americans, but it only comes after a settlement with the Justice Department. It's among a number of recent actions that continue to harm Native people. We'll look at what it takes to make amends when people in positions of power act out against Native people, either through ignorance or malice. That's on the next Native America Calling. Pursuing a degree in higher education is attainable, and with a scholarship from Native Forward Scholars Fund, it is more affordable. From aerospace to veterinary medicine, as the largest direct scholarship provider to Native students in the U.S., Native Forward has empowered over 22,000 students from over 500 tribes in all 50 states in pursuit of their undergraduate, graduate, and professional degrees. Info and applications at nativeforward.org who support this show. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. We're talking about the top stories from 2023 that Native journalists will be following in 2024. You can join this conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That number again, 1-800-996-2848. We're waiting for your call, 1-800-996-2848. We have Brandy Morin on the line. She is a freelance journalist in Treaty 6 Territory, Alberta, Canada. Brandy, before break, uh, you gave us a synopsis of those big fires last summer in Canada. And I think the big question now is, what's in store for the summer of 2024? It's just a few months away. The spring will start and uh, things might start drying out again. I mean, have there been any major preventative measures or other efforts to, to safeguard uh, against another vicious fire season like what you experienced last year? 
Well, I know that a lot of Native communities are, you know, utilizing the resources that they have, you know, but usually when the threat is right there, the feds, you know, provided a lot of funding uh, when communities were evacuated. But I don't think that there is a lot of resources available for, you know, significant preventative measures. Um, you know, often our communities are left um, are more vulnerable because they're left out of the decision making tables about forest management and fire response and, um, you know, often can't afford to hire emergency management. Um, and also when these fires get so out of control, like they were, when they are affecting urban centers with higher populations, when they're happening at the same time, um, you know, the, the fire suppression, that support shifts to those communities. But we, particularly here in Alberta, we are experiencing a really dry, warm winter. We haven't had any snow here uh, in Alberta, where I am. Uh, North, Northern Alberta has a little bit, and we've uh, the weather has been in the pluses. So, you know, we're, you know, th this is really scary if this is going to continue, um, you know, uh, th these dry uh, conditions are what contributed to these, um, you know, to these rampant wildfires. So um, hopefully that will change, you know, before the spring. Hopefully. Yeah, no, that's really, really yeah, concerning what you're describing those conditions, because that would be horrible if we see another repeat of last year. Brandy, let's talk about another issue. Um, demands to search a Manitoba landfill where officials suspected there were remains of two murdered Indigenous women. Have there been any developments there with that issue? Yeah, so last year we've seen a continued protest from family members and loved ones of the uh, four women that were murdered by a serial killer in Winnipeg and um, the Manitoba uh, premier at the time did not support a search, so there was a lot of um, contention around that. But then uh, in October, the First, First Nations premier was elected. His name's Wab Canoe. And shortly after that, the federal government um, announced it was putting, um, uh, you know, a, a significant amount of money towards another review of uh, uh uh, deciding whether a search would be done, and the new premier was in support of that. Um, now, you know, this was, a, again, a big change uh, from the previous Conservative government. Um, in the meantime, the Camp Morgan that has been set up uh, near one of the landfills, you know, continues to be manned by Indigenous warriors there, and um, ceremonies are being conducted. Um, the pretrial for the accused, Jeremy Skibicki, in the murders of Rebecca Contoir, Mercedes Moran, Morgan Harris, and a fourth unidentified woman uh, that the community is named Buffalo Woman. That happened in November, and uh, Skibicki pleaded not guilty. So his trial, uh, the trial against him, is beginning in April. In the meantime, it's a waiting game while these further you know, studies are being conducted. Okay. Well, um, the election of Wab Canoe, that's just so, so inspiring. Give us some background yeah. on him. What, what do we know yeah. about him? Wow. You know, um, Wab is a fellow, fellow journalist. He worked for the Canadian Broadcasting Co uh, Corporation for many years, 
before that, he was a rapper and he got into politics, I think about maybe seven years ago or so, and became the leader of the new Democratic Party. And he led them to victory on October 3rd and like ousted the progressive conservatives that were in power for seven years. So that was a, a really, really big deal. Again, he's the first First Nations premier, really inspired a lot of, you know, uh, Native communities to, um, you know, to um, get involved with, you know, mainstream politics. And what was significant, too, is when uh, Wab Canoe appointed his cabinet, he um, appointed two First Nations women to cabinet, Nahani Fontaine and Bernadette Smith. And there's never been First Nations women that have... Uh, led a cabinet before. So um, it's it's a big deal. And, and you know, Wad's election made uh, headlines all around the world. So, you know, and one of the things that he did commit to on his reconciliation or on his election campaign is, you know, reconciliation and supporting the landfill search. So we'll just, uh, you know, it's so early um, and we'll, we'll see how it, you know, how it pans out. Well, you got to love those rappers who get into politics, huh? I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe that's the ticket there. We need more hip-hop and rap people to, to get involved in the political process. Well, Brandy, what other issues do you think will continue to make the news in 2024 there in Canada? Oh, my gosh. Again, just like Levi, it's such a broad spectrum. There's, um, you know, a lot of um, environmental, like, land defense um, situations that are playing out regarding, you know, um, pipelines and other um, industries uh, being developed in unceded territories. I, I do a lot of coverage of that. We have Canada's Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion that is at the, is at the end of constructing, and there it's kind of a last stand in um, Shaquakmik territories, which is in Kamloops, British Columbia. That's where the... 215 children um, whose, um, you know, the, the graves of our children were first announced. And now, you know, the feds who own this pipeline have gone back on their word to them not to drill through this sacred area of their land and, you know, other ongoing, um, you know, indigenous rights and land disputes. And I think that they will be increasing because there is, you know, other uh, developments happening. We have the Ring of Fire in Northern Ontario, where which holds, you know, it's it's rich in minerals and nickel, which is used in making electric batteries. And we have several First Nations there who are have formed alliances, you know, against the province because they have not been included or consulted in these, you know, high stakes developments. So I'll be watching them really closely. Okay. And one more question here, Brandy. What about some of the, the native celebrities there in Canada? There's so many. I mean, Ashley Collingbull, a lot of the actors. And there's a bunch of First Nations guys in the NHL right now. I know Ethan Ethan Bear just got traded to the Washington Capitals. They're my favorite team. So what, what do you hear up there with regard to some of the celebrities and what they have planned in the new year? Okay. Oh my gosh. You know what? I, I'm not the best at following the celebrities. Um, I know Ashley Collinbow. I know I've known her for years. She's from Enoch Cree Nation, which is not far from where I live, and she's doing um, a number of different things: modeling and sports hosting, and you know. And we have Devry Jacobs, who you know is rocking it with. She's Mohawk. She's you know she was on Reservation Dogs, and she's doing a bunch of different projects and. Um, 
uh, we have a bunch of different influence influencers, you know, social media influencers that are, you know, um, you know, really, uh, you know, taking up a lot of good space and, and um, you know, raising awareness of their culture and uplifting Indian country. So it's, uh, it's good. It's really exciting to see um, how they're going to grow. Well, that's wonderful news, Brandy. And uh, I know your time is limited. You've got other engagements today. So thank you again for joining us and happy new year. Hi, hi. Happy new year. Take care. Take care as well, Brandy. Let's talk to Arlissa Basenti now. Again, she is an Indigenous Affairs reporter and an editor for the Daily Focus at the Arizona Republic. Arlissa, I want to thank you again for joining our show. And let's talk about this giant Medicaid scam in Arizona. We covered it a little bit on NAC and fraudulent institutions targeted Native Americans and collected reimbursements for treatment that was never provided. What are the ongoing implications of this scam since it all started last year? Well, right now, um, there's a lot of sobriety homes, I think well over 300, that the fraudulent sobriety homes that have been um, suspended. And so far, at the beginning of December, there was a large indictment of, I think, up to 10 people. And that was with the Attorney General um, Chris May's office. And so that's where we're at right now. Um, But there's still a lot needing to be done for the victims because, these victims, you know, they come to Phoenix. They're not, they're, they're from all over Arizona, but not only Arizona, there's some from out of state as well, from as far as Montana, that come to these um, sobriety homes. And, you know, they're, they're told to leave after these suspensions happen and the, the facilities are closed down. So right now it's just a lot of trying to find a way to get these people home. Arlissa, are there any estimates right now as to the total cost of this alleged fraud? Because I've heard numbers as high as a billion dollars. Yeah, there's, it's well over a million, well over a million dollars. Um, back in May, when there was a big uh, press conference about it with the Attorney General as well as um, Arizona uh, Governor uh, Katie Hobbs, it was, uh, it was way well into the, to the tens of millions of dollars because of these fraudulent homes. Um, but right now, I'm not right. I'm not sure exactly how much. And what about just folks right now that need those services, folks that need an addiction recovery? Uh, I mean, are there a lot of people that are displaced now and don't have places oh, yeah. where they can go to seek treatment? And, and, and what's available? What are the options for those people right now? Right now, I don't, I'm not really sure about the options. I know some are being able to be sent to different um, legitimate homes in, within the, the city. I know that Navajo Nation opened up their another sobriety home in Chin Lee, but I'm not really too knowing of that facility. It just, you know, just one day it popped up and said, this is what we're doing <laughs> for the Navajo Nation. So there really hasn't been any information or details surrounding that facility, but I know that that's there. Um, but as for people who are displaced within Phoenix, you know, they're still trying to find a way home, basically. Um, I've been talking with a an advocate who basically just brought a spotlight to these scams way back in December 2022 when I first reported on it. And her name is Reva Stewart. And I want to mention this, that the Arizona Republic has recently selected her as Arizona Woman of the Year um, just yesterday. So that's really great because her voice is what really started this, this 
just knowing that these scams were happening and and, and we know that it's just not her that's doing the job. There's a lot of people within her group. But right now she's on the ground trying to find um, a way to get these victims home. And right now there's, I, I, I have no idea how many are displaced, not within just Phoenix, but also Tucson and Flagstaff. So right now how they're getting um, treatment is really not known. Okay. And Arlissa, I mean, have any new details emerged with regard to just how these scams were committed? Because we had some people on the show last year and they talked about people basically being kidnapped, just pulled off the streets and, and taken to these um, supposed recovery centers, held against their will, having to escape like in the dead of the night. I mean, do we have any more details, any information for how it all went down? Um, well, Right now, from what we've been told, it started in Nevada and it came down to Arizona. And it's been happening well before the pandemic. Last February, I spoke with um, Native American Connections uh, CEO, Diana Yazi Devine. And that Native American Connection is a legitimate business and it assists you know, indigenous people with healthcare, affordable housing and community development services for over 40 years now. And she remembers this scam happening in 2019 where people will be coming from different um, facilities that she's never even heard of and dropped off at Native American Connections and being, you know, using their, their treatments. And at times they would try to build them, but they would find out that, you know, when they were trying to build them, they had already been billed from different facilities that they'd never even heard of. So it's, it's been happening well before the pandemic. And right now, um, the most recent article that I wrote was back in November, and it really just kind of centers around um, this Navajo man named Sean Bedoni, and he had only been in a sobriety home, one of these sobriety homes in Phoenix for three months, and he was found dead in his room in June. And his mother and his sister just, you know, they told me their story. They told me how things were, how it was just so illegitimate, and it was just such an illegal um facility and his sister who was also battling her own addictions had gone to a legitimate program and when they came to get her brother's belongings after they were told that he passed um, she realized just how how awful and just not even an, a legitimate um, facility it was she saw beer bottles beer cans in the areas in the rooms um, near her brother's belongings um, they had stolen his his um, his wallet, his TV that his mom had bought him. So, yeah, you know these are really sad stories, and that's what my focus is on is is writing about the victims and um, the victims' families. That is so troubling, Arlissa. Just uh, so frustrating to hear, and really appreciate just all the hard work you've done and reporting you've done. And it must be tough for you to cover that story. It is, um, especially when this woman told me, you know, she's looking for her dad and she thinks her dad was hitchhiking from, um, I believe it was from Chilchimbato near Kianta back to his house in Chinle, which he's done many times before. And, you know, one day he decided, okay, well, I'm going to head home. He started hitchhiking and she's never seen him again. And she thinks that if somebody had come with those, those infamous white vans, picked him up and took him to Phoenix. To one of these facilities so she's she's still looking for him all right 
Today on Native America Calling, we are talking about big stories that affected Native Americans in 2023. And some of these issues are likely to cross over into the new year. If there are any pressing stories that you followed last year, specifically with regard to Native Americans, Indian country, Native communities, give us a call. Let us know what issues resonated with you. Maybe you live up in Alaska and there was a story that really caught your attention. Maybe you're in the Dakotas. Maybe you're in Oklahoma. Maybe you're in the Southwest, like Arlissa. You're in the Four Corners area, or you're on the Navajo Nation. We want to hear from people all over Indian country and Native communities. We want to hear from you. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. Support by Archaeology Southwest. Did you know almost all major archaeological sites in the Southwest have been looted or vandalized? Looting and vandalism impact indigenous people, past, present, and future. Every day, countless Native American cultural items are lost or damaged forever through looting and vandalism. Federal and tribal laws protect archaeological resources. More information about ending archaeological resource crime and how to submit a tip at savehistory.org and on social media at Save History. You are listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce, and there is still time to join this conversation about the major Native stories from 2023 that will likely spill over into 2024. Join our conversation at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Right now, we have Arlissa Bicenti on the line. She's an Indigenous Affairs reporter and an editor for the Daily Focus at the Arizona Republic. And Arlissa, beyond the big Medicaid scam, what are some other big stories that you're following there in the state of Arizona with regard to Native people? Well, right now, I've been really focusing on fossil fuel extraction, um, whether it be oil um, reclamation from uranium, oil, coal. And that's been something I've been doing um, throughout this year, and I believe I'll continue on, especially with with the development of hydrogen possibility, um, hydrogen, helium. Um, so that's what I've been covering a little bit, as well as will the Navajo Nation recognize um, same-sex marriage? That's something that I've been following. And yeah, those are just basically it right now. Do you cover uh, the new administration there in Window Rock closely, the new uh, presidential administration, Arlissa? Um, not so much as I used to in the past. Um, I I follow them, but not as closely. Okay. I was just wondering if you could get, I, earlier I asked Levi for a letter grade on the Biden administration. I wonder if you could give mm-hmm. us a letter a letter grade on the, on the Nigrin administration from an uh, A to a D. Where are you at? I'd say, ooh, I don't know, maybe a C just because, um, you know, there's, there's the, the issue that is the, the Gaza-Palestinian war going on and Navajo Nation owning Raytheon within, within the Navajo Nation. And just, you know, citizens really trying to bring that up into the spotlight and trying to get leaders to speak up on it. And President Nigren did set um, a statement out last week, I believe, and that, that's the start, but there could be a lot more. Um, not only that, it's just like also 
the 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 um what we were just discussing when it comes to when it comes to these fraudulent scams and you know, wondering what they're doing. They had this this big elaborate operation Rainbow Bridge at the beginning of the summer when this all came to a head. And right now we just don't know what's going on with it. And I I have inquired about it, but I really haven't gotten any answers. So yeah, maybe just to see right now. All right, all right. Well, Lisa, really appreciate you joining us today and uh, sharing all these insights and updates with regard to what is happening in the state of Arizona. And with that, let's bring Anita Hofschneider into the fold now. Anita is in Honolulu, Hawaii. She's a senior staff writer at Grist Magazine's Indigenous Affairs Desk. And Anita, I want to thank you again for joining our show. And earlier we talked about these horrendous Canadian wildfires. But of course, there was a fire in Hawaii in August that devastated the historic Hawaiian community of Lahaina. What's the focus there now? Are people able to rebuild? Are businesses reopening? And is life in any way, shape, or form returning to normal for those folks there? You know, it is really um, in a state of limbo where people aren't really sure what Lahaina will look like eventually and what a rebuild will really look like and what will happen to all of the families that were displaced. I was just on um, Craigslist looking at housing wanted ads and there was an ad from a family of four who said they lost their house in the fire and were going to run out of um, rental subsidies by the end of January and were looking for a place to live. And so policymakers here in Hawaii are really you know, trying to figure out how to address this dire need for housing, because even before all of this, there was a huge um, affordable housing crisis on Maui where, you know, the demand for luxury and expensive housing was so high um, from people moving here from all over the world. And it was really forcing local people out, um, especially Native Hawaiians. And so um, we're, the fire basically made all of that worse. Anita, there were also issues with, with people really having resentment towards tourists. Even throughout all of the turmoil, there were reports of, of people coming on vacation. And, and what's, what's the status right now of the tourism there in Lahaina? Has it resumed or are people kind of staying away? You know, the um, Lahaina, te technically tourism has resumed, I believe, but I think that, you know, for anybody who is considering traveling to Hawaii, um, whether you're going to Lahaina or going anywhere else, um, it's very important that you, I would say, I would say do some research and reading beforehand about how to travel ethically and why some people would say um, that you should not come. Um, there's definitely a lot of activism in that space of, of recognizing the ways in which tourism can be very harmful to Native peoples and can often, you know, just be modern day versions of uh, the colonialism that has been uh, plaguing Hawaii for so long. There were, were also some, some debates over the origin of the fire. Uh, a lot of different theories, a lot of people, uh, you know, hey, wasn't my, you know, different organizations and kind of trying to step back and, and not take responsibility. What's the status here now? Has an official definitive source of the fire been identified? So, you know, what's, what's interesting um, about that is that there are lawsuits uh, against the local utility company saying that the fire was uh, sparked by, um, you know, a fallen pole. And 
but one thing that scientists have been really pointing out is the way that um, the proliferation of non-native grasses in on Maui really fueled the fire and how there's such a, these, these grasses are invasive, they're very dense, they cover a lot of um, the land surrounding Lahaina town that was burned. And um, one thing that we wrote about here at Grist was about a developer who owned some of the land that had um, this these non-native grasses, and he's also been named in a lawsuit regarding this. And what was what one what was interesting was that he was uh, his company was pointing the finger at a state water official, saying that um, the state water official delayed the release of water that um, and effectively impeded firefighting efforts, or may have impeded firefighting efforts. Um, it turned out that those allegations were not true, but it, it was it basically caused a firestorm. Uh, because critics saw it as an attempt to capitalize on the grief of the community for profit and to basically seek to loosen water regulations that had been expanding in order to protect native water rights. Um, this was a state official who was very popular and was the first native person in his um, in his role. And so we wrote about how um, the fight over water rights has been intensifying um, in the wake of the water wildfire. Now we heard Brandy talk earlier about uh, what look like dry conditions up in Canada right now, and that has a lot of people worried and concerned for what that fire season might look like coming up here in 2024. What about there in Lahaina and other parts of Hawaii, uh, and especially with all these indigenous, uh, non-Indigenous, non-Native grasses and other plants? I mean, do you think there is a possibility that, that we could see a repeat of what happened in Lahaina, either this coming year or in the relatively near future? That's probably everybody's worst fear. You know, I did speak with one um, wildfire scientist who said that this 2024 wildfire season could actually be worse in Hawaii than last year. And so we should be bracing for this. You know, what was so frustrating for many people who study wildfires in Hawaii was that they're actually quite common and the state knew that a you know, what wildfires were a threat, um, but and even and they happen quite frequently in Hawaii. But I think that there was a sense that you know the idea of something so deadly actually happening um, still took many state officials uh, by surprise, even though there were state reports and analyses that said that this was a risk. And so um, now, hopefully, policymakers will be taking this issue much more seriously. And you know, putting money behind um, prevention, for example, getting rid of those non-native grasses that served as ready fuel that helped um, the fire, the conflagration grow just so big. All right, let's take a caller. Morris is listening up in Alaska on station KYUK. Happy New Year, Morris, and good morning. Welcome to Native America Calling. Yes, yes, uh, it's a very uh, promising new year for us here in Nunapichuk, Alaska. Uh, we are in the southwestern part, that mug in the middle. Uh, uh, we are we are uh, in the process of wanting to relocate. Uh, this climate crisis is hurting us. Uh, it has quickened, and the very ground we live on is uh, 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 going away the very ground we're standing and everywhere you look it's slanted and um um uh it's well wavy 
Uh, everything cannot stay straight no more. Even the very board, boardwalks we go around in our community is uh, starting to sink into the ground. And um, we have been recognized as a pilot program for relocation. And I hope that the government uh, will be uh, uh, in contact with us. Okay. Morris, this is really concerning. Uh, thoughts and prayers to, to you and everybody else in your community. Where are you hoping to relay, relocate to, Morris? Somewhere there in Alaska, a larger city, perhaps? No, no. Uh, to uh, better grounds, uh, we only have high hills uh, around us, and they're about 50 feet high. And currently, my community is below sea level. And and we can move to the high hills. They're only three, four miles to the south south of us. And we have already uh, had poor drilling, and we have a w little weather station over there. All right, Morris. Well, thank you again for calling in, and uh, good luck uh, to you and everyone else in your community. And Anita, we hear uh, from callers such as Morris frequently in our show, and of course, uh, we cover a lot of climate change issues here at Native America Calling. Uh, in addition to the fire there we've talked about at Lahaina, uh, any other climate change issues there in Hawaii that you folks are covering closely in 2024? Well, I did write a story in the last few months about a lawsuit that several um, youth, including Indigenous youth, brought against the State Department of Transportation for um, basically it's failure to, or allegedly it's failure to um, decrease emissions and follow states, the state's, um, you know, goals for improving um, its, its uh, I'm so sorry, improving their emissions. And so this lawsuit is actually going to be, uh, going to go to trial this summer, and it's only going to be the second climate change lawsuit going to trial in the country. Um, and so that's something that we're definitely watching this summer. All right. Thank you so much, Anita. And Levi, how about you? I know you follow some climate change issues there in different parts of Indian country. Uh, what are you most concerned about right now with stories in 2024 and that issue? You know, the caller from Alaska just uh, remind, reminded me. And um, we have a reporter, Jenna Kuntz, who's our senior reporter. She's one of six. North American reporters who is chosen by Oxford uh, for an Oxford fellowship. And there's like 600 applied, 100 around the world were uh, selected, and Jenna is one of them. And so I feel really fortunate we have somebody of her caliber on our staff at Native News Online. We want to, we want to serve our tribal communities from Seminole Tribe all the way up to the Arctic Circle. So we would definitely like to do a story on that. And uh, that is, whereas her, uh, the stories that she's covering with this climate uh, fellowship hasn't really been defined quite yet. She, she just, the announcement came last, uh, during the White House Summit week. And, but however, it's, it's starting sometime this month. So we will have a better grip on that in for our, to to your listeners, please reach out to Native News Online, editor at nativenewsonline.net. If you have stories that are very unique to the climate, we would definitely want to hear from you. Thank you, Levi. And Anita, any other uh, Native issues there in Hawaii that you and your colleagues at Grist are paying attention to here in the new year you want to share? 
Sure. You know, actually, I should say that the Indigenous Affairs desk that I write for um, at GRIST is a global desk. And so we cover issues, even though I'm based here in Honolulu, we cover issues from all over the world. Um, so I have written about, um, you know, pipelines, the Dakota Access Pipeline, Line 5, and some of the, um, you know, most recent news about those very, you know, controversial projects. Um, and we also have, I also have many colleagues who have done uh, some incredible reporting. You know, one of my uh, colleagues, you know, did some research into um, what we call orphaned whales, abandoned oil wells in the Osage Nation, and, and did an analysis of Interior Department data um, that found there were roughly 2,300 orphan orphan wells across the nation, which are very, very um, problematic because they can emit, emit methane. Um, as well as leak saltwater, oil, and other toxic materials into the surrounding earth. Um, one of my colleagues did a story about extreme heat and decades of mismanagement that were putting inde uh, Indigenous inmates at risk. Um, and I know I have also been doing some international coverage, like writing about what's at stake for Indigenous peoples in, um, in international negotiations regarding climate change. And we definitely hope to continue to um, you know, cover issues like that um, that really look at environmental justice issues for Indigenous communities. Well, Anita, we really appreciate you joining our show today, along with all of our other guests, Levi, Rickert, Brandy, Morin, and Arlissa Besenti, to give us a recap on the year in news in 2023 and also give us a sneak peek at what's ahead for 2024. And uh, for those of you who didn't get a chance to call in today, feel free to comment on our Facebook page, on our Instagram account. Let's keep the conversation moving here in 2024. Please engage with us here at Native America Calling. And also, don't forget to join us again tomorrow when we talk about what it takes to make amends after people or institutions take actions or make public comments that harm Native Americans. Until then, have a great rest of your day. I'm Sean Spruce. Support for this program provided by Vision Maker Media, who envisions a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. Nurturing the next generation of storytellers with courage, generosity, creativity, respect, and commitment. 45 plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org whose slogan is, Together We Are Vision Makers. Ah, Chespuk Ani, in Pielsi Seed Spench, Chesu Lea Twa Kholax Islanum Sui Huk Se Islan, Kuk Sut Sutimisti, Ukuk Chasichi, Kulquels Kshua Such Mariam, Unem Chesui Seeds Ah Spench, Chkokul Telsnit Suan Kali Such Mariam, Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.